0: Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Joto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting most of her life. She grew up in the digital age, raised by a single mom. Previously to what she's doing now, she's worked with dozens of venture-backed startups to launch and scale their marketing, sales, and product development. But we are talking to her today because she is on a mission to proactively prevent harm in the digital age through technology tools and education. Her story has been her impetus and her drive. Coming to us live from New York, New York, please welcome our disruptor, founder, and CEO at Garbo, Catherine
1: Cosmita. Thank you so much for having me today. Really excited for this conversation.
0: Yeah, you bet. I'm really excited about it too because I want to learn a lot. Harm in the digital age is something that some of us know intimately what that means, but many of us don't. But before we get into that, tell our listeners, because this is how we started off, right? And every disruptor has their foundational main ingredient for disruption. What is that for you?
1: Yes. I love this question so, so much. And for me, I would say the key to disruption, the main ingredient, there are so, so many, it's so intersectional. But for me, I would say is going to the front lines, right? And talking to those most impacted. I say that solutions exist where the problems exist at its core. And so that's really how you disrupt space is getting to like, you know, as a founder or disruptor, you have that, insight, right? That your lens to that problem, but then you have to go deeper, right? Because you're just one person and you have to get to like the most impacted of those problems. And that's what I have found to be the biggest additive ingredient to the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So I guess that takes a lot of listening and research and talking. I mean, is that because of your marketing background too? I mean, it's not just what you think, but you have to find out what the target
1: audience really thinks? Or is that how you have been? It's a bit of both, right? So I was originally in theater and then got into startup marketing and kind of just business, you know, and and was doing a lot of marketing, social media at the time, but this was like 10, 15 years ago, right? Doing social media for like bars to get free drinks when I was like young and like all these little hacks (laughs) to like make money, right? So I've always been this like way. And it's really is like, I've, always wanted to solve problems, right? And and so for theater, right, everything, every moment, every sentence exchanged between two characters is a problem, right? They're just solving something. And so, you know, maybe it comes from that and then going into marketing and, and, you know, I was on the B2C side first. I really felt like most of that is like selling shit to people that they don't need. And I didn't feel good about that in a lot of ways. I switched to B2B and you really start to solve problems. And even some consumer products can solve problems. Right. But that's really, I think it is like, I want to just solve problems and solve some of the hardest problems, which is definitely harm in the digital age. And as it continues to expand and grow.
0: Yeah, it is one of the biggest problems. Let's dive into that. Let's go all over like, what is the status quo of harm in the digital age? Just throw it out there. There's so many aspects.
1: Increasingly, you know, I'm sure if you just surveyed, anyone, right? There's all these surveys of X percentage of people have experienced um, online harassment or, you know, dick pics or trolling, you know, those are kind of the low level stuff, right? But then you start getting really bad stuff, like swatting where, you know, it's, SWAT teams will show up to your house. Call oh, I saw something on, you know, like that. Yeah, You know, sex, sextortion, where it's increasingly a big issue with especially teens and young men, where they are getting sextorted, where they send they build a relationship with someone online and then they send a naked photo. And then that person says, I will leak this to your whole family and friends, et cetera, if you don't send me money. And we used to think that these bad actors were like, you know, the creepy guy behind the screen or these little small enterprises, like illegal enterprises in foreign countries. But no, it's like actually a lot of young women are sex sorting these men where they won't sell the foot. They won't actually post a the photo. They'll threaten to right, et cetera, to get the money to go buy like a Gucci bag and like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So like even who is a bad actor nowadays and what are their motivations? So you see that. And the, the popular term is called revenge porn or image based abuse. Right. Which is uploading naked photos of someone without their permission and sharing those things. You know, you have that type of stuff, but then you have a lot of digital stalking, right. In actual relationships and romantic relationships and how, digital tools are used to cause harm in family relationships, but often domestic relationships. So, you know, having your location tracking turned on at all times, you know, having access to your email passwords or your bank accounts and monitoring those, like that's digital harm too. So it's so vast. There's so many different facets of online harm. And so it's really about what area you kind of have to, to focus on, right? Because there are so many different issues happening.
0: Which part are you most passionate about?
1: Definitely human to human harm, right? So I'm not interested in the financial fraud that businesses happen, right? And all of that kind of stuff. Like I don't There's care. There's right? out think, there handling that. I, say, I think say I'm about people, not platforms at the end okay. of the day, right? I, I'm about protecting people. And really, you know, mine is the most severe of the online harm or in-person harm, even where they meet online, right? Through a dating app, or through a social media sites, 50% of romance scams actually happen on Facebook or Instagram, right? And so it's not just dating apps where these things are happening, but they meet online and then that turns into real world harm, whether that is, you know, the romance scam where they never have to meet in person, right? Or the to be like, you know, scammed out of millions of dollars or you know, then you get into real world harm, which is the sexual assaults, domestic violence, these types of things. And solving that is where I'm really, really focused in my work, not necessarily like, you know, hate speech and harassment. It, it, those are very, very bad things, right? And dick pics, like that, that's bad, but I really wanted to solve the hard stuff.
0: Wow. So we've got financial crimes, we've got human to human, we've got what was the stat you gave me on the dating apps?
1: Oh, 50% of romance scams happen on social media sites, mostly Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, sliding into the DM.
0: And then we have the sextortion. And what are dating scams?
1: There, I mean, there's so, so many and they're they're getting more sophisticated, right? We all knew the like Nigerian prince scam right back in the day yes. and stuff <laughs> like that, right? We all got those email threads and like, you know, and it's just more sophisticated versions of that, but really... Okay. Like I said, these low level enterprises almost where it, it, it is workers, right? Who are employed to romance scam people a lot of the time. And they build these deep, deep, deep relationships with these people, right? It's not just a flip of a switch. Hey, send me like money invest in this crypto. It's like. No, they really get the other person to fall in love with them, right? And and build this relationship and build that trust, right? It's all about trust. And then they manipulate that trust. I mean, that's all kind of bad actors is manipulating like trust in someone. But um, it's very complex and they're doing it to hundreds of people at a time. That's a big one in the financial side of things.
0: It, does it all come down to money at this point? Like they're trying to extort money from these people? I mean, you say you talk about sextortion
1: and then the dating scams. Well, it's interesting because, you know, if you look at even just like actual, like in person, like in a romantic relationship, not abusive relationship is 99% of domestic violence victims will have uh, financial abuse involved, right? So it is always like kind of goes back to money and controlling money, right? So, and financial abuse can look in so many different ways. Right. It can be, you know, getting you fired from your job, not letting you go to your job, making it difficult to do your job, monitoring your bank accounts, not letting you have a debit card. Right. Like, you know, women didn't used to even have rights to bank accounts and stuff like that back in the day. Right. So like it was kind yeah. of forced financial abuse. So it, like money is always a big, big thing in all sorts of kind of bad actor issues.
0: And what is that statistic again? I'm so fascinated with this. 90 percent of what you just said, domestic violence
1: or domestic. Yeah. 99% of domestic violence situations will have some sort of financial abuse occurring because that makes it difficult for the person to leave. If you control their money, you kind of control everything. You know, domestic violence is never, I always say it's like, it's never a punch to the face, right? It's these very like manipulative, tiny little things that they do to control you. It's power and control, right? All of these types of, there's two types of offenses, right? There's, Crimes of desperation, which I really don't care about. I'm not interested. Like people robbing people, people This, if you gave them hope and opportunity, they wouldn't do those things, you know, truly. And the studies show that. But power and control crimes, which is those bad actors, which is domestic violence or sexual assault or even those white collar crimes of fraud. It's about power and control. And it's a very different type of bad actor right? who does these types of things. And that's where my work is focused. And that's what I'm trying to disrupt is how we help survivors, right? Who who are impacted by these people, but then also how do we stop them from preventing harm? Like that's all victims really want is to stop. That's why they report. Number one reason they report is to stop them from doing that. They don't care about a carceral system. And we know the carceral system doesn't really work to stop them. And so how do we kind of do that in the digital age? Because that's the only way you really proactively prevent harm is to detect and then prevent it. So that leads me to the big question. How do
0: you detect and prevent it? Like, how do you get a handle on this? Because it's only growing.
1: What It's only, yeah, it's it's, it's really only growing. It's unchecked, right? So if you look at the criminal system, which is, I think, how we think this should be handled, is someone should be arrested for stalking someone digitally or sending out naked photos or these types of things, like online harm. But the issue is a lot of states, don't have these types of laws yet even, right? I just learned actually this morning, I had breakfast with someone I super respect in the industry and they told me in Connecticut, you cannot get an order of protection if it's digital stocking related. They will not grant it, right? If it's, you know, it has to be real world harm. So we're expecting this criminal legal system where we also know that survivors don't report into that system for a wide variety of reasons. And then at the end of it, less than 1% of police reports around anything gender-based violence, which doesn't have to be women related, right? But it's domestic violence, sexual assault, all these types of things, human to human harm, 1% will end in a conviction, 1%. Seven percent in an arrest, right? So, like that system doesn't work, and bad actors know that they won't get caught. I've gone through these systems, right? I, you know, I try to go through family court and then criminal court and civil court eventually to get the public record to like prevent the stop this person from doing it, and it didn't work for me. And if it was that hard for me, I can't imagine, you know, how difficult it is for someone.
0: Yeah, because you're one determined, persistent cuss, as my dad would say. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> So was this the impetus to Garbo?
1: You know, it, it, a lot of things I think were, you know, I think a lot of things led up to it, but definitely my own experience within the system and seeing again, how difficult it was for me, which is I I'm white, I'm educated. I have pretty privilege. I have access to capital. I'm well connected, all of these things. And it sucks for me. Right. And I got victim blames and I did, you know, and then There's just so many different issues. And again, I saw that one little lens, but I said, again, I'm so privileged. This is a bigger issue. And that's where I went to the core of the problem, right? It's just like, you have to talk to the women most impacted, the people most impacted by this criminal system, which is people of color and queer communities, et cetera. When they report, they're not even believed. They're kind of laughed at. They're pushed out of these spaces, right? And so the car social system is not ever going to solve it. And then you have platforms, right? So you're trying to report to a platform, right? It's like the next piece of it. And platforms, like, they really don't give a shit. Some do, right? I think, and some increasingly do, but they really care about money at the end of the day. And so they're moderating things based on their financial things, right? They don't really care about solving domestic violence or the the harm that happens on their platform. It's more like, oh, will this impact advertisers wanting to spend money on my platform? It's almost like Garbo is this kind of third-party system we think of kind of connecting the dots between I did report to a platform and I did try and go to the police or, or I did try and report a, to my work about sexual harassment, but they didn't do anything. And that's it. How do we capture the real ways harm is reported in the digital age? Because it's not the criminal system.
0: Yeah, it's so very true. You almost feel like when something happens to you and they say, well, did you report it? right? Did you report it to the authorities? There's like a, this sinking feeling, right? Because you know, nothing is going to happen.
1: Even if you do report it, right? Like nothing happens. And you're like, I did. And in a lot of ways, I was a really good victim and whatever that means in some stereotypical way, you know, and it, it you're didn't, a good target. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, It like, didn't work, right? You know, and I'm like, okay, if this again doesn't work for me, it's not working for the majority of, of people. And so how do we really, again, like help protect each other because the court isn't going to do it, platforms really aren't going to do it. We kind of have to protect each other right at the end of the day, right? And that's where kind of community comes into play. And that's why Garbo isn't just technology, right? It's tools and education and community. And we have our own podcasts and, you know, we have a TikTok channel where we talk about things and quizzes you know, where people can take, you know, over 100,000 people have taken a Was I Sexually Assaulted quiz this year on our platform, you know, or on our website. We're really trying to get to the core of the problem, really helping people and and guide, you know, both survivors, but then also, like I said, bad actors and thinking about that side of the equation too.
0: That's awesome. 100,000 people have
1: taken that quiz. That's crazy. It's crazy. We have about, I think, over like probably a dozen quizzes now. And you know, I come from marketing, right? This was a marketing thing. I saw I was on Ahrefs, right? An SEO tool, you know, I've used my entire career. And I was like, just looking for like, we always are looking for topics, right? To write about in these spaces. And I started seeing this like domestic violence quiz, right? The quiz come up, right? And some searches. And I was like, okay, let's let's try and just do one and test it out and see. And it just the first one kind of took off, you know? And then we just really kept building. And I've had people come up to me in real life and say, Catherine, I took one of your quizzes i broke up with him it changed my life and that's it it's like we really and try and guide them gently down and getting them to think about these in a nuanced way because again domestic violence is nuanced right and so we never say definitively you know this sounds like and then we say go to call a hotline right and we have partnerships with the national domestic violence hotline rain victim connect et cetera. like even in our platform when you get to the search results screen when you search someone. We have partnerships with a bunch of different NGOs, including the The domestic violence hotline, where you can talk to an advocate without ever leaving the platform. So really kind of rethinking how these things intersect. We know like digital harm, right? So much technology is used to cause harm. But how can it also be used for a lot of good and, and to kind of redirect the narrative a bit here?
0: So tell us a little bit about like, dumb it down, like what Garbo is. What do you do? How is it innovative? How
1: does it help? And I'm getting bits and pieces. So Garbo is a new kind of online background check or safety system is what we really like to call it, um, uh, which enables anyone to see if someone has a history of causing harm today based on available public records, including arrest convictions, and sex offender records. Again, we're really focused on trying to get move away from the carceral system and have done a lot of work recently around Harm in the digital age, but it's a first name and phone number, usually is all it takes. It's two dollars and fifty cents, but it's a small processing fee, so no subscriptions, things like that. It takes less than two minutes to run a search. You know, a lot of these other people search sites take up to 20 minutes, they often feel spammy. They give away like your home address and your email address and your phone number, like all this invasive PII, which I'm sorry, your home address in today's digital age should like not be a public record. Like these sites are very harmful, right? That's what I kind of saw is I saw my own experience, right? And then I saw there are background check sites out there, right? Um, So you have county sites or government sites. So in New York, you can run a background check on someone with their full name, their full date of birth. Oh, and $95. And I was like, kidding me? Like, that's insane. It's not a public record. If it's 90, even the public can afford $95, right? And then I saw these, People search sites, right? Which, you know, at uh, Spokio, Truthfinder, Instant Checkmate, like, you know, if you Google anyone and they come up, it's like, we found record, like, oh, it's like, they, yeah, you know, yeah. spammy experiences. And, you know, they claim that they have criminal records, right? Which is the number one reason people, we surveyed a lot of people, right? In the early days of Garbo. And um, a lot of people say they use these sites mostly for the criminal records, Like right? They say they have criminal records. And we ran a bunch of tests, right? Got like criminal records from all over and sex like all over the US and ran them through a bunch of these sites, right, and then found, like, 90% of them did not have, like, any criminal records on them that we had access to. or they had, like, I came to find it years later, is, like, there was also this data dump in, like, 2004 or five somewhere around there, of, like, criminal records, right? So they all have these outdated files, right, this Mm -hmm. one big bulk purchase of data, but they're not actually getting updated criminal records. But like people are making like real ass safety decisions off of thinking that there's no, oh, there's no record here, right? So he must be safe is the default thing, right? I don't see a record, he must be safe. And that false sense of security is so, so dangerous with that. And so what we found is like, you know, when we started talking to online platforms, you know, with our partnership with Tinder, right? How that kind of came to fruition was, you know, we started talking to platforms, they're like, you know, we've wanted a safety solution in our background and we've looked into these things, but like we don't feel good about what's out there because of the stalking issue with it, of giving too much information, right? And so we were always focused on how do we, you know, find the balance of privacy and protection in the digital age, right? Like, and it is nuanced, right? But that's why we're really focused only on the reporting of violence and harmful behavior. So even in the arrests and convictions and sex offender records and orders of protection that we're adding and all these other things, you're not going to see these, like, nonviolent crimes like loitering or selling marijuana, right? We know 42% of those federally incarcerated are there for drug-related offenses. Like, that's not a harmful person. You know, that's, a, that's, again, that crime of desperation, right? Like, if you took them out of that system, you probably wouldn't do that, right? Versus, you know, less than 3% of gender-based violence offenders will have a record that can be found by a traditional background check. You know, that's crazy, you know, because they aren't reported into these systems for, again, a wide variety of reasons. And so that was the innovation. That was like the disruptor was like seeing that they had too much information, but not the right information. Right. And so we started with that core of allowing consumers to search each other. Right. Which is like a limited information and stuff. We're really trying to bring together people platforms and policymakers really are the the three key pieces in all of this because you know also this year there was a big influx of stupid legislation around requiring or at least requiring dating apps to say very boldly whether they background check all users everyone wants to background check all users right like that that was a big thing that we really you know had to stop kind of this year and like tell like the whole industry like please don't do this Or, or think about doing it like complex right because If you background check all users, sounds good in theory, right? Like, oh, it's safer, right? Whatever. No, right? It captures less than 3% of gender-based violence offenders. And for women who have records, domestic violence records, we know that 94% of those women are victims, right, Uh, of domestic violence. And so they're getting caught, right, to go to a dating app. because. And so you're saying survivors can't find love because they have this charge on there, right? If you just do it on this algorithm, you know, just like on these high-level decisions. And so really kind of, but there's legislation being passed all over the U.S. around these dating apps and background checks. And we're like, no, it's a false sense of security. You know, I say, Honestly, if I would have done all the things that white men would have told me to do this year that they thought was a good idea around background checks and like badging people. Oh, you know, you can opt in and like pay for like a badge, like to get like, look at the identity verification fiasco on on Twitter. Okay, that just like shows (laughs) that, you know, like, it's like, you know, I knew that this was going to happen. I said it because so many people said this to me. I was like, it's so stupid. Don't do it. It's a good guy badge. and You have no idea if that person is like a good guy or person or whatever. And so we're really trying to get the industry to kind of think about how they can really stop and, and actually prevent harm, right? And it's again not in the criminal system. And so we're we're really excited about kind of what's coming next, right? You think like we we've disrupted the space so far, or like we're really just kind of getting started in all of it. That's
0: amazing. So you pay two dollars and fifty cents or a couple bucks, right? And you can put in the name and the phone number. And this is for people that have committed violent crimes or sex crimes, like harassment too, like what harassment, any yeah, any
1: human-to-human harm, right? Is like what we're really focused on. So it included like sex torsion online, like anything on yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anything is considered and we have defined violent and harm for like we have a whole advocacy council composed of gender, racial, and social justice experts who have helped us define these things of what we do and do not show on the platform, you know, what is for it example. Not,
0: what does it not bring up?
1: So, you know, definitely none of the, the invasive PII, first off. So no home addresses, no phone numbers, no, nothing like that, That's no good. dates of birth, like all of that kind of stuff. No, you're just going to see those violent arrest conviction sex offender records today. So it's also no... The loitering charges, the sex work charges, right? Being in sex work, right? A lot of traffic tickets, right? You know, none of those are showing up because those often just make more biased decisions, right? Yeah. Rather than actually preventing- But online
0: our... harassing if they've been
1: caught. Oh yeah, that if, if they've been caught, right? And that's the issue is like today is like if they've been caught by the criminal system and it's so little. So we're like, again, focused on kind of what's next. But yeah, it's the fastest- It's the most affordable. We give away a lot of free credits. So we have partnerships, like I said, with Tinder, with Match.com, with Stir, Hud, Roomie, a bunch of apps out there, um, mostly in the dating space, but some other spaces too, where they can get free credits, right? So, you know, if they come from those, and we give away, if you reach out to me and you need, we give away free credits to anyone who asks, we have the earn free searches, like through referring friends. Safety should not be siloed to people who can afford it, right? Like it should be accessible to everyone. Okay. So tell us about your story. Do you mind? I feel like I've always kind of been resilient is what people say. Like life has knocked me down multiple times. I'm a multi-time survivor of gender-based violence from being a a child into adulthood. Gender-based violence encompasses anything that has a disproportionate impact or is influenced based on your gender, right? So it encompasses things like, sexual assault, domestic violence in a household. And domestic violence often not just between partners, but between family members, right? Like an aunt and a child or whatever, that's also gender-based violence. A lot of the online harassment, online harms, extortion, um, the revenge porn, right? This is all gender-based violence. And I think that gives me a very unique lens to all of this. You know, I also say a big thing is I grew up, on the internet like I got really good grades in school right and I was in honors classes and some AP classes but like I did not go to class right I just had anxiety as a kid and would make excuses like not to go and my mom would have to go every single semester into the school and be like you can't fail her like they would try and fail me because I missed so much class but I would have like an A or B so they're like mm, you can't really fail her if she's getting A's." like make your classes harder right maybe she'll show up and like go to them again but I was like doing really well and I was really into theater right it's like my big passion and you know, I was getting paid by the school district to like do lighting design, all this like stuff. Right. You know, and so I was also very entrepreneurial. I had to sell candy bars to go on the Disneyland trip because my mom couldn't afford it. Right. So like you had a hustle. How do you sell candy bars? Sorry, you'd be a flirtatious young little girl and you'll sell a lot of candy bars to a lot of weird people, but like you'll do it. Right. You know. But I learned these things and that's also like marketing. And then got to college. I was studying theater in college, but I wanted to, I switched over to, I started being on a board of a, of a theater the youngest board member in their like 80 year history and really wanted to do like nonprofit arts administration right i didn't actually like being on stage i was always behind the scenes i love being in charge that's another big thing i love being the boss i'm not meant to have a boss right you know so that was kind of a thing too i got fired or like i would i would quit right before they fired me like for a lot of jobs (laughs) said early on in this conversation i said you know i started doing social media for like bars because i couldn't afford to go out to drink with my friends because i was broke right and so i was like well, I kind of like know social media, right? Like I'm good at it. I've always done it kind of like this thing. And let's just like ask if they'll do it. Right. And and they did. And I was like, if you don't have to pay me, you just have to like give me a $100 bar tap every week or something like that. And they would do it, you know, so, and so doing these things, but then it was really, I applied for a job on Craigslist, actually, right back in the day when you should do that, you should not do that anymore. That's a scam. Right. But Back in the day, it was still legit and it was for like the social casino gaming company startup when I had graduated college and was kind of a little lost. And it was for a community manager position, which was like social media customer support tickets. And I say that is also foundational to have that connection on both sides where you're both selling, right? And that's when they used to give social media to interns, right? I was like 22 and I was like, they had a million followers, right? It's like games and stuff, but they're all older people who had no idea about internet, see anything, then customer support, right? So they're all happy on this side and very angry on this side. and You're going to see both sides of it. I guess like being so close to the customer maybe that's where the disruption is. I saw the problem. Right? I went, I was talking to the customers who are facing the problem, So often, that's where I would find innovation. Oh, they like this thing. You know, if I say this, right? Instead of automated customer support tickets, I wrote every single one by hand, every single message by hand. And my hands would, but I was like, that's what it takes, right? And then we, and then 18 months later, the company was acquired because I just, then I became a really big market very, very quickly with a very small company in there and made huge impacts in that organization at a very young age. But if you can move fast and make decisions quickly, but have, you know, that's why we have counseled, and I surround myself by wicked smart people. This is not the Catherine show. This is Catherine is connected by really smart people who know their shit about all of these very nuanced issues and things like that coming into it. So then, you know, I get into this, I, I'm really excelling in my career. I, I love it. You know, um, I'm on boards, et cetera. And, and then actually I met someone on an online dating app and very quickly found myself in a very abusive relationship and situation. Um, and every kind of form of abuse a lot of the ones that we've talked about today and well I was very lucky to escape about a year and a half later thanks to some friends and family members kind of coming together and and helping thought I was done over I was like okay I can move on I, I escaped the situation I kind of like midnight moved out of the situation and no it started a whole campaign of stalking and harassment against me which is pretty normal to actually, you know, come to find out you don't know any of this in the relationship. But now that I'm kind of an expert on this topic, it's like that actually is the most dangerous time of any domestic violence situation is leaving, right? That's where fatalities happen. That's where right. like, and it takes an average of seven times for a domestic violence victim to leave the situation. I had kept trying to leave, like it was crazy, right? Like I had kept trying to leave. He had a family member die and in, in it. And so you kind of feel like, oh, gonna sad. And then this is the promise the world. Like, all sorts. Of, I kept trying to leave, and then finally, you know, thanks to some other people, I was able to leave. But you know, everything from emailing, calling, and texting, harassing me, and I just kept changing my number, and I didn't know how he kept getting it, etc. To then, you know, emailing my um, coworkers and bosses a lewd video. To then really going on and posting on all of these revenge websites that were like liarsandcheaters.com and exposedpsychos.com. They, they are pretty dead now because like they have been raised in quite a bit. This was like 2017. And he posted on all of these sites. And he is a quote, an entrepreneur, like, you know, and uh, does know kind of like marketing or SEO, right? And he wrote them to rank number one on my Google search results. It had my name, my title, my co-workers' names, my job like and and then said I was a drug addict and I cheated on him and beware like all this crazy ass shit and someone just messaged me you know he was already doing the shit to me but someone messaged me a friend and said have you googled yourself lately and I was like who the fuck googles themselves like no but I did and then just dozens of these posts ranking number one on my google search results and that's Really where I was like, holy shit, this is my life online. My life is online, right? Like, we've established I like am a digital native and my life is online and now he's ruining like all like this is so bad. And I could publish all, you know, like in, in different publications, et cetera. It's like people know me, you know? What a psycho. And so that's where I was kind of forced into the justice. I never wanted it, right? I didn't want to go to the justice system. I hate the justice system, right? Like I don't even I'm trying not to call it the justice system, but I'm trying to call it the legal system because it's not just right in any way to anyone. What but I forced and you got I no told. results from that. I mean, I did, right? Like, I got the order of protection. He violated it. He was arrested for three felonies and two misdemeanors. And then he got, and I shouldn't be thought, like, great, this will all be used against me in the court of law. I'm pretty sure. Because I'm still in this, right? I'm still in a suit with him. Because he was convicted uh, of disorderly conduct. He was a first-time offender, but in New York. And that was my first also red flag, is I knew he had victims in California and had been arrested in California. So I was like, wait, you're telling me that like the states don't even like, he's not a first time offender, honey, you know, like this is like an issue, you know. And then that really upset me because all I wanted was like a public record. I just wanted someone to know again, like that's why people report is to stop them and then to prevent the next person. Well, to prevent the next person, the only way is to let them know, especially in the digital age where we're not connected with people, right? You can't whisper network to a friend, say, whoa, Joe's weird. Don't like do, you know, it doesn't work anymore. And so I, you know, again, used my privilege to at the time, I, I filed a civil suit against him um, to create the public record, mostly a document that couldn't be messed with, right, that this was forever in the public record that he did this. And he countersued me, I think, for like, multi, multi, multi million dollars full of
0: You must be live. super yeah. effective for him to try to stop you.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it's like, you know, like, effective in life, right? Like Wait, why would but that's understand? what they do right they're bullies and yeah. they will try and intimidate you right and this is the whole game to him like right he just appealed to you know the supreme court of the united states on the family court case the supreme Court. i can't make this up right and i probably shouldn't be talking about this but i don't we have to talk about this real time right because this is my life right and he, he won't stop because he he thinks that he'll win right that investors won't invest with me because i have this like thing on my shoulder right this you know this court case and he's spread all these false lies about me in these public records that say like i did cheat on him and i did do drugs when it's like not true right but like you can just lie right and you know and and eventually you run out of money most victims like it's very expensive to sue someone right like the whole like oh just get them arrested it's also it's not only financially expensive it's very time consuming right to go to court and to do this to do that money yes and time is money, right? And so, you know, that's it, the whole thing of like very victim blaming, right? But I'm like, you fucked with the wrong person, finally. I have nothing to lose, right? I get death threats probably like every other week by from like Garbo because we won't take bad men off of it. Or like I go to jail for like some weird shit. Anything else in there, I have nothing to lose, right? Yes, I like my nice espresso martinis and living in Manhattan, et, et cetera. But like, I'm fine. Like I've been four before. I can do that. And so I'm willing to really risk it all to like bring about change in the and disrupt these systems in so many different ways, using my case and my privilege to do that.
0: Well, there is definitely a pent up demand for it. And that is part of the disruption definition, right? And there's been many catalysts that have spurred this on. But Even with more people being online, even more in their lives since COVID, I think you just have the perfect storm for Garbo.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Catherine, how do people get a hold of you? Our website is www.garbo.io a little weird different one you know i'm on linkedin and it's the best place for me personally and always reach out you know i advise a lot of startups early stage companies i'm happy to you know if you are a disruptor want to disrupt something i'm happy to kind of give you a mini blueprints of how i've done it you need free search credits like reach anything that we can do to support you know the community and people most impacted We're, we're here to do that
0: Again, I've said awesome so many times during this podcast, but that is awesome. I love how you give back. I love what you're doing. I love how passionate you are. I love that you can speak to it so well with so much knowledge and statistics. So guys, reach out to Catherine. She's definitely very willing to give back. Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare, or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.